Hello, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Bright Brains Podcast. I'm your host, Isaac, and today my guest is Laverne Mickens, a 30-year teaching veteran. She is known online as Scholarship College Mama, and we're going to be talking about the state of education in the U.S. and the challenges that Black youth face. So, Get ready for a great conversation that promises to shed light on these critical issues. Uh, welcome to the show, Miss Mickens. Um, tell everybody about yourself and um, your background and what inspired you to become a teacher. Hi, Isaac. Happy Sunday. Thank you so much for having me. So my name is Laverne, uh, Scholarship College Mama on all social media platforms. I am a wife of a teacher. I'm a teacher. I'm a mother of five, and I've been teaching for about 24, 25 years. My oldest son is 27. Fun fact, he was my first student in my very first classroom in kindergarten. And after that, I vowed to never teach kindergarten ever again. (laughs) So um, I live in Springfield, Massachusetts, which is about 20 minutes from Hartford, an hour from Boston. Uh, Lived here most of my life, born in Brooklyn, raised here in Springfield, met my husband here at American International College. And we've been together and married for 30 years and been here ever since. Um, I've taught parochial, private, Christian, charter, public, all kinds of kids. Kids are all the same, no matter what age, what grade. Uh, What differentiates most of them, of course, is their environment, their economic status, the kind of school and, you know, things that they have access to and things of that nature. But um, I love to teach. I always wanted to be a teacher. I used to line my dolls up in my room, uh, play school, pretend I was a teacher. Uh, And I went to Virginia State for a year for education and dance. HBCUs are amazing, but they don't always have the funding that we need. So I had to pack it up and come home. Went to American International College, uh, PWI down the street from me, got full ride and uh, finished up with my master's. And my husband and I have our doctorate. So here I am today. Awesome. That's great, man. So you've been teaching for 30 years, you said? Just about. Uh, my oldest is 27. He was in my first class. So I mean, it is 2023. So I've been yeah. teaching 23 years. Yeah. That's wild. So yeah, you have a lot of experience. So I want to ask you, based on your experiences, what are challenges that Black children face in the education system? Oh, wow. <laughs> that question alone could take us an hour to answer, right? But um, yeah. In my experience, now see, when you say Black children, now it depends, right? What's their address? What's their zip code? Uh, Do they have parents or not? Do they have housing or not? Um, Do they have access or not, right? So where I teach, where I've taught for 19 years, Rebecca Mae Johnson Elementary School in Springfield is named for the first Black administrator in our city. She was amazing. Um, And it's called a Title I school. It's an urban education district high poverty, um, high needs, uh, mostly black and brown children. Now it's about 80% Hispanic and Latino. Um, And those kids, a lot of them come from two-parent households. A lot of them have a lot of love, but they still need a lot of help, right? I have a lot of kids that are in group homes. I have a lot of kids in foster care. I just found out last week, two of my kids, their siblings, they're homeless. I had no idea because somehow, some way, yeah, their parents clean them up get them to school. I'm not sure if I found out or the teacher across from me has the brother. Yeah. So our kids are going through a multitude of issues. And then you throw COVID in there. Now we've got social, emotional, 
We've got mental health and behavioral issues that we dealt with before COVID, but now it's like 10 times worse, right? So you've got poverty, you've got hunger. I tell kids and uh, families all the time, kids don't care what you know. Hello? Hello, you still there? Looks like... Uh... <laughs> I don't, Hello? right? It's just a paycheck away from needing food stamps. So, uh, hold on one second. It like uh, froze up a little bit. Oh, no. Yeah. So too? like, yeah, I can see you now. Yeah, it like froze up. So let's uh, like maybe take a step back like 10 seconds. I kind of missed what you were saying. Okay. I, was yeah, saying I think the last thing uh, I may cut you, I think the last thing I heard you say, you were talking about the kids that were homeless. Yes, I've got a student in my class who I just found out is homeless. His brothers across the hall, but they, you know, they, they don't look like they need for anything because the parents clearly are making sure that, you know, they don't stand out. There's no alarms ringing. I'm not sure how we found out, but kids are uh, unhoused. They're hungry. Some of them are taking care of younger siblings because there's either no parent or a parent at work working a double shift parents either mentally or physically checked out so our kids are definitely going through a lot so one thing I try to let kids and families know is that I care because no one cares how much you know or how smart you are they want to know that you care about them so that's one aspect I try to bring to my classroom yeah you know one thing that doesn't get talked about enough I feel is the effect of like the economy has on families and that the way that affects the children you know, I think a lot of uh, people have kids and they want to do the best for them. But because of the economy and inflation, they have to work a lot. Could you like speak on that a bit? Absolutely. Absolutely. I've got great parents. Let me just start with that. Parents are doing what they know to do. Parents are doing the best they can trying to survive. Right. So I've got parents that work first shift. I've got parents that work two jobs. I've got parents that work overnight. So I have a lot of kids that fall asleep because they're staying with uncle or Mima or whoever staying up late playing their Game Boy or their video games because there's limited access to care, ba daycare, babysitting. Right. So parents are doing the best that they can, especially in this economy where you try to go grocery shopping, $100 worth of groceries might get you two things in a cart. It's ridiculous. Food costs a lot. Daycare costs a lot. You know, you got your streaming services. If you even try to get internet access, everything is so expensive, especially since COVID, it's criminal. So the economy is definitely impacting middle-class families like us, but definitely lower income and people on a poverty line are just feeling it the most. We really are. And we see it in the classroom. Yeah. Do you think um, like parents, especially black parents, get too much criticism? Oh, like, yeah. When it comes. Yeah. <laughs> well, oh, yeah. Speak on that. I, I can I can. Well, I can take you all the way back to the 60s and 70s. But I remember a speech that Bill Cosby gave and then in any other respectability type politic type. African-American, pull up your pants, do this. Even President Obama gave a speech at a college commencement one time. You know, you got to do this, you got to do that. Do you know that even if we do all the right things, they'll shoot you dead in the street and drag you off to jail and they'll still follow you around the store. They'll still profile you. Like nothing can save us. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like no suit, shirt, tie, clean up your face, grease it up, nothing is able to save you from systemic racism. 
That's what mm-hmm. I was trying to get across in the TikTok that I stitched the young man. I know he, you know, been teaching a little while down in Atlanta. I feel his frustration. That was me. It used to be me. But a lot of these young teachers don't understand the systemic crumbling and breakdown of education and how Black people and Black children in particular are caught in the crosshairs of it, you know? And there's dichotomy. There's two sides to everything. That's people that are really trying and not getting what they need and really working hard. And then, you know, we've got that other aspect. You've got the parents that you dread seeing at open house. You've got the parents that make excuses. But that's everybody, right? In all races, not just ours, but Black folks are catching hell. <laughs> black yeah. folks are catching hell. Black kids are catching hell. Um, black teachers are catching hell. Trust yeah. me. Do you, do you feel that, like, we expect too much of teachers? You know, because I feel like a teacher has to wear, like, many hats. You have to be a teacher, a social worker, uh, security absolutely. guard yeah and so- it's not fair yes absolutely so when we went home during covid that early march right and teachers were really just trying to tape and glue and piece things together we were the heroes oh my god teachers are awesome oh my goodness i can't believe it oh my god phenomenal and then they started demonizing us like oh you don't want to go back in the building you're making excuses you're lazy i had somebody tell me today right under one of my posts teachers are supposed to educate facilitate and you have to take care of the emotional behavior i'm like whoa, 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 whoa. my mother was a social worker for 30 years i'm not trained to do that i didn't even take social work and behavioral classes In college, I took special ed classes to take care of my special needs students educationally, but I'm not trained for mental health. I'm not a therapist. They want us to be social worker, therapist, you know, mom, dad, grandma, everything from eight to three. And then if we don't meet that expectation, then we get criticized and we get demonized. And that's not fair because I don't ever recall putting all that burden on the teachers of my kids. I said I was the first teacher. I'm their mom. They have a dad. We'll handle it from there. You handle the education. And by the way, sometimes if the education was subpar, we had to come home and fill in the gaps, right? If it wasn't culturally competent, we're teaching Black history here at home. If it wasn't relevant, throw that out. They're teaching it wrong. And my kids would always go back the next day. Um, You know, we learned at home last night that uh, da-da-da-da-da. You might want to add that to your lesson next time, right? So, yeah, it's not fair. It's a reality, unfortunately, because somebody needs a scapegoat. People need somebody to blame, and people don't always want to look within. They want to look outward and blame that way. Yeah. What I noticed is people like to uh, pretend to love teachers. You know, people will always say, oh, yeah, we love teachers. Teachers are great. But then they always are the first ones to scapegoat teachers uh, whenever there's a problem uh, with society. Um, so, like you mentioned, there's a couple of things you mentioned. Uh, one was the lockdown. Um, I want to talk about that um, and your experience during the lockdown and all the craziness that happened. You know, how was it on the teacher's side? It was crazy, right? So, I'll never forget, I had a professional development. So, when we have PD or professional development, we usually work as a team. Students stay home. Teachers are in the building. And we go over lesson planning. We go over curriculum. We talk with our administrators. We plan for the next month or so. So we were backwards planning because the state exam was at the end of the month in March. That Friday, no one told us that the next day, that Saturday, we would have like a state emergency and we wouldn't be able to, to go back to work. So I went home that Friday. I left all my plants. I left all my things. Uh, I vividly remember all the CEOs of like CBS, 
Walmart, Walgreens standing on stage with President Trump. They were announcing something was about to happen. And then the next day, my governor claimed that there was a shutdown. And then by Monday, the whole country shut down. So they kind of sent us home with no game plan. So from March to May, kids were just winging it. We were just winging it. We were telling them, you know, get on your, because we have all kinds of online platforms, but we had to scramble. We had to get families and children laptops. Some didn't work. Some were outdated. Everybody didn't have Wi-Fi. So we had to get with Verizon. We had to get with Comcast. We had to get with all these companies, talk to the state. We're in state of emergency. We have to do online learning. Nothing was set up. It was chaos. So that led us to the fall, Zoom, online learning which for some kids, it was a relief to not have to be in the building, not be bullied, not be around people. But it was a semi-nightmare, especially for my kids who were in college. Zoom was absolute trash. If you were in college in Zoom, I feel for you. God bless you. If you made it through, good for you. But um, the rest of us, it was difficult. I know my daughter was in high school. My son was in high school. He graduated. He was a Zoom graduate. So he was starting his first semester of community college. It was just chaos all around. <laughs> you saw the baby in the Zoom, the parrot, the undressed mom, the what was under the nightgown. It, it was a lot going on nationwide. You know, yeah. people got to see the veil was lifted. That's what I also said in my video. These things were happening before COVID, but we got to see inside people's homes and we saw a lot, right? People saw a lot. People saw that you know, these kids are struggling. Parents saw, wow, my kid can't sit still. Well, ma'am, I've been telling you that for nine months, but you know, you think it's me. But now yeah. you see little Ray Ray can't sit still at the kitchen table to read this book with me. And, you know, that's when, oh, teachers, you're amazing. Oh, you're heroes. Then when we went back in the building, some of us had to be, it was called hybrid. Some of us were still on Zoom because some kids didn't come back. Mm -hmm. And we had half the kids in the classroom. That was chaos. And then they forced us all back that fall with a mask on. Have you ever taught on Zoom with a mask to a room full of kids, especially little kids? When you're talking about phonics, I need to see, you know, you pronounce the words and the letters. So then we had the clear masks with the space right here. It, it was just, it was mayhem and bedlam. I, I hope we don't go to another lockdown. I pray we don't. Some aspects of it were like, I like the world on lockdown. There wasn't a lot of chaos. The streets were clear. Not a lot of murder, not a lot of crime. We're all in a house. We're getting closer to one another. But then what's going on in the house? Mental health issues. I know I had some of that here in my home. Um, teachers and my husband's a teacher, too, so I can hear his high school class. He can hear my elementary class. While upstairs, my kids are trying to do their high schooling. It, it was chaos. It was really yeah. chaotic. So it, yeah. it, very, it was chaotic. Now, I'm curious. Like I know the lockdown just kind of came out of nowhere. But had there ever been like a plan in place before the lockdown, like like kind of kind of emergency thing that y'all no. like? That's above my no? pay grade. But I would mm -hmm. have to say no because if there were a plan in place, people wouldn't be scrambling the week after we got sent home to try and make copies and send them to their students. People wouldn't be asynchronously hoping, "I'm going to send you this work." You know, get on your eye ready, get on your math, get on your reading. And then I'm going to check at the end of the week. We didn't give grades from March to May. It was oh, either wow. pass, fail. And then we were told not to even fail kids because how can you fail kids in the middle of a pandemic who don't have technology or don't have access? Some kids refuse to do the work and some kids didn't even pick up a laptop. So how can you judge that fairly? How can you grade that? That, that was insanity to me. So I would have to say, no, there was not a plan because if there were a solid plan in place, mm -hmm. it would have been effortless. 
it would have been like boom, boom, boom. You know, and it makes sense because the government didn't have a plan, even though they knew about COVID before COVID was COVID. Yeah, exactly. Knew back in 2019. You know what I mean? So um, I know for me and my husband, I'm a Delta. He's an alpha. And I get a lot of donations from Amazon Wishlist and Donors Choose as a platform teachers use. And if to go back to something else you said, if we really love teachers, we wouldn't be begging every August and September for supplies for our classroom. That That's another podcast, though, right? So yeah. um, he reached out to his frat. I reached out to my sorors, and I was able to get enough supplies and snacks and foods. I went door to door to 30 homes because I was worried about my kids. I miss my kids. I said, I don't care if you're doing the work or not. I've got books. I've got chapter books. I've got crayons. I've got markers. I've got pencils. I got gift cards for the parents and the families. So we went around door to door, knocking on doors. I tried to make phone calls. They wanted teachers to call kids every day. I mean, it, it was outlandish what was going on. But I managed to find 30 of my families go door to door, you know, socially distanced, of course, knock on doors. I had a friend from the newspaper follow us take some pictures do a story on it so just to let them know hey we're here i care about you i miss you i hope to see you in the fall you know just stay safe and stay alive because at that point people were dying people were yeah. dying in children's homes people were dying in my family my husband who's from new york had already lost three uncles because in new york it was bad yeah it yeah. was horrible he lost an uncle on his mom's side an uncle on his dad's side and a great uncle all in mm. a span of three months we had three deaths and could, no funeral, no service, no burial, bodies stacking just on top of each other. That COVID was really crazy. I think people forget how crazy it was and how blessed if you're still alive and you made it through to the other side. Mm -hmm. If anything, people that are still teaching, you won't yeah. criticize me. I taught before COVID. I taught during COVID. Zoom, hybrid, and mask on, and I'm still here. And you're going to criticize me. Like the audacity. Yeah. The nerve. Exactly. You know? <laughs> you know, the thing uh about this lockdown, man, is like you said, we were very unprepared, not just in school, but just everything. You know, it was just kind of like someone made a knee-jerk decision and said lockdown, but didn't think about what it entailed. Didn't think it through. They didn't think it through. No, not at all. And now, like, you know, they saying COVID is starting like there's a new variant. Oh, new wave. Wondering... There's always a new wave coming. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm I fearful that. that we, yeah, I'm fearful that we might have to lock down again. So I my question to you, I hope are we, we don't. Prepared? I, yeah. Are we prepared? I would say no, but what do you think? Um, I can't speak for other teachers and other classes nationwide, but I know since Zoom and since COVID, we have a lot more online tools and online platforms. Kids have what's called one-to-one -one technology. Every child in my building has a tablet or a laptop. If we were to have to go home again. Um, they have the technology and we have the tools we need. Just the logistics of it would have to be ironed out, but I think they're prepared. They spent billions of dollars on it. They're actually forcing us to use it. Now I'm in person. I'm I see my kids. I'm old school. I like pencil, pen to paper. You gonna write this essay, but I don't use a computer a lot, but because they spent so much money on this technology, a lot of things that I use on my teacher laptop. And I project on the board to do hands-on learning. They want the kids online doing it too because they spend so much money. So if we did have to go to lockdown again, I think um, the logistics maybe would have to be ironed out. But every child has a laptop and every child has access to uh, internet and technology. So I, I think so. At least here in Massachusetts. I don't know about yeah. anywhere else. Yeah. 
Um, so one thing I want to talk about is how I, I found you on TikTok. Uh, you had mentioned earlier about the guy who was talking about the teacher uh, who was talking about the parents. And uh, maybe when I post this podcast, maybe I'll put that TikTok in there. I'm not sure of the legal things, but basically he was just like criticizing the parents. And you made a TikTok talking about the reasons about why things are. Um, if people want to see that, they can go to your TikTok. But my question is, how do you feel about teachers being on social media and talking <laughs> uh, about issues and things like that? So here's where social media can be both good and bad, right? And I'll use myself as an example. Um, I know a lot of people get mad. The younger generation, first of all, have got this thing down pat on lock, right? They know the trends. I'm trying to get the trends. They know the songs. They know the moves. They know the sayings. My, I have twins, 24. My twins stay trying to send me sounds mom use this mom do that build your business i'm like oh okay um you know back in our day we had little risque songs and uh little things that we would say and do but um everything's online now everything kids have access to this yeah, and then here, right so yeah. i i saw his tiktok i saw another tiktok of a young lady using uh miss sexy red who you know god bless her I want to ask you about that. I, but actually. see, here's here's the thing. That's none of my business because I'm 50. I don't listen to that. I know the sounds. I use edited sounds sometimes for my scholarships, but I'm 50. I listen to my R&B. Sometimes I like Cardi. I like Meg. I am love Beyonce. You know, I love Nas and Jay-Z. I'm hip hop. I'm old school because hip hop turned 50 this year also. So everything is not for old folks, number one. But number two, a lot of these kids are trying to get clicks and likes. I don't know about other districts, but we have to have the kids and family sign media waivers because the districts like to use the kids online and in advertisement. So the district has permission. Excuse me, there's bees all over the place. The district has permission to use their image and likeness, but we don't. So a lot of times teachers will have the phone facing forward on them and you can just hear the voices. But there's certain sounds that maybe aren't appropriate, even if it is elementary and middle school. Um, if you want to listen to sexy this and coochie mama dad at home that's fine i don't play it in my classroom i don't approve of it i don't always like to listen to it drill music trap music that's not my era that's not my business that's not my lane <laughs> i stay in my lane but there are some teachers that have a genuine heart that are really trying to reach the kids i do believe in meeting people where they're at and these kids really they're listening to it somewhere because they know all the lyrics i didn't teach it to them somebody taught it to them but using it in your classroom and online, you got to be careful because what's the social media policy of your district? What can get you fired and what can get you sent home on paid leave, right? So I used to post in my classroom. I didn't post the kids. Sometimes we would go to recess and I used to teach dance. I used to be an arts instructor. So I knew the whole building. So everybody knows me. I had everybody's cousin, grandma, auntie. I've been teaching a long time. So sometimes my fifth graders would battle my fourth graders and I'll dance with them. You know, my district had a problem with that because I started talking about how dance needs to be an outlet, how teachers need to take care of their mental health and take mental health days. So I actually got dragged into a discipline meeting because they said, do you have media waivers? I said, I have sign offs from every parent. Now, what's the problem? You just don't like what I'm saying because I'm telling people to take days off because I'm telling you, you cut my dance program and kids need to dance. Black children inherently are kinesthetic. They need to move while they learn. I'm saying all of this and you just don't like the message. So you try to drag me in and tell me I'm breaking protocol and social media policy, which I'm not because I'm very careful. 
but you got to be careful what you put online. If the parents don't have permission, that's the first thing I thought of. This this young man is talking about his students can't read. Do the parents know that? And if they do, they're going to see you that, hey, that's my teacher talking about me and how only five kids, he held up my hand. I think he said only five kids in his class were on grade level. That's why I made the video. Do you know why your kids can't read? Let me give you a history lesson. Here's why. And what are you doing to fill in the gap, right? My husband and I talk about this all the time. He teaches high school. He has a lot of my former students. Kids that come from my room are on point. Kids that come from other teachers in other classrooms, not so much. And why is that? Why can we track teachers and track the data? If you went to Ms. Johnson, you're on point. But if you went to Ms. P., Maybe you're, you're, you know, kind of behind. So parents are not the only ones dropping the ball. Some teachers just can't teach. We need to talk about that, too. Yeah. You know, I actually do want to talk about that because I used to be a security guard in uh, middle school. And, you know, you could see that there were teachers who were great at their job. You know, they teach the kids loved them and loved to interact with them. And there were other teachers that, you know, you could tell they just hated being there. And the, the kids were just always acting a fool. So my question is, you know, are we training teachers the right way, like properly? And how do we like get all teachers to be great teachers? You know, how do we get them to, you know, how do we get consistency? I guess is what I'm saying. That's a great question. Wow. Another hour we could take on that. Right. So the first thing I want to say, there is no teacher prep program at any campus in the country that prepares you for what you walk into that classroom and deal with. There's none. I mean, I could t- do a PD on the <laughs> the real housewives of teaching or the real, the real behind the scenes of teaching. Every class I took in undergrad and graduate, I, I have not applied any of that pedagogy wow. and, and p- practice and best practices and procedures. No, common sense. <laughs> and do I have a love for what I do? Right. So number one, you got to love kids. You got to love what you do. If you don't like kids, you probably shouldn't teach. Let's just start there. Yeah. There's a lot of teachers that don't like kids. So why are you doing this? It mm-hmm. can't be for the pay because there's very few states in the nation that pay what we're actually worth. So it exactly. can't be for the pay. That's number one. Number two, do you know your subject matter? that's what the college programs are supposed to prepare you for. Elementary teachers have to know a little bit of everything because we teach every subject. Then when you get into secondary, middle and high, they're specialized, right? My husband teaches math and global business. He went to school for business. He went back, transitioned out of business, went back to school for education and specifically learned how to teach math to middle and high schoolers. And he's also an administrator. You go to school to be an administrator. They teach you how to administrate, but you really don't learn it till you get on that job. And you have to do a lockdown, fire drill. You've got to run the room 110 for a behavior issue. You don't know this job until you step into the building and into the classroom and actually do it. And for those that don't inherently have a love for children or a love for the job, it's going to show. It's going to yeah. show in your teaching. It's going to show in your practice. It's going to show in those kids. Kids, let me tell you about kids from five to 50. And I know because I call, I call my mama and tell her everything. Kids go home and report out everything. Everything you say, everything you did, every way you treated them, good or bad, right? So I have a saying in my room. This is our room. This is our family, fourth grade. I'm not your maid. I'm not your mama. So I know tomorrow at open house, the parents are going to come in and say, hey, I'm not your maid. I'm not your mama. There's certain things that every year Mrs. <laughs> Mickens 
is famous for saying, but they also go home and say she didn't feel good this day or she was sad this day. You know, kids feel your energy and they go and report out. So you got to watch what you say to these little children, these little vessels. Even high school, I can't teach high school because I catch a case. Middle schoolers, <laughs> I don't say they the devil. I taught middle school for one year and I got pregnant on purpose just so I could leave and go home. <laughs> middle schoolers are a mess. I'm just yes. listening. There's, there's even when they push you to the limit, you got it. You're the you're the grown up, and they can be rude. They can be disrespectful. They could be out of pocket, honey. If you all you got to do is look at TikTok and pull up a TikTok video. There, listen. There's a video right now from Flint, Michigan, of a teacher trying to get in the middle of a fight, and a desk flew over her head and knocked her unconscious. Jesus. Do you know I'm not breaking up fights? I don't get paid yeah. for that. And yeah. how about the teacher that got shot in Virginia? She's still trying to fight the district because they're trying to say that's not part of workers comp. That's wild. Like, yeah. They're trying to say teachers should have the expectation of being shot by six-year-olds in the classroom. They're not that's trying wild. to pay her. Yeah. So yeah. It's crazy. That man, it, it's just so much. Um, so man, you know, that, that that's wild. I remember seeing a video. Uh, it was a black teacher um, trying to, I don't know if she was breaking up a fight, but this student was just attacking her. Oh, and, and they had I the think, fight. Yeah, I think she broke her yeah, leg. I remember that. Yeah, Over her yeah. phone. The teacher, mm -hmm. I think, had taken the phone and the girl lunged. And, you know, and she was a sub. She wasn't even yeah. the main teacher. And one thing about us teachers, you know, we're in our 40s and 50s, but we grew up on knuck if you buck. You come over here mm -hmm. if you want to and get your feelings hurt. <laughs> don't yeah. try me. Keep your hands to your what? To yourself. Okay. <laughs> So here's my question. You know, when I was a kid in high school and things like that, so I'm in my 30s. Um, what what surprised me nowadays is that most schools, they have like police officers like inside the school. That was wild to me. What's your take I on that? I never had that. I never had that. A lot of people have cops. A lot of schools have what's called resource officers. I think it's wild, but it, look at our climate, our culture nowadays. You've got yeah. kids with weapons and this is black and white. Now, mind you, you will not mm. see a lot of police presence in the suburbs yeah. with certain other types of folks. Let exactly. me just say that. You won't see the canine unit or the cops at certain districts in certain cities in certain towns. However, and they fight there. They get into brawls there. They get into trouble there. Please don't think mm. that they don't. But they do, yeah. They do. We are over policed. We are heavily scrutinized. Um, we're over disciplined. Um, and it's sad. But on the on the same token, a lot of kids are in gangs. Yeah. I mean, my, my husband tells me every day, between eighth and ninth grade, I know we did a dissertation on this. Between eighth and ninth grade is when kids decide either I'm gonna be a real student, take the serious, or I'm gonna run the streets with my friends and drop out. Period. He teaches night school. He teaches credit recovery. He's trying to give kids a second and a third chance if they want it. But by the time they turn 16 or 17, legally, if they don't want it, they could go and they run the streets. And what do you do when you can't get work, you don't have a diploma, and you run in the streets? What are you going to do? Yeah. So we've got crime in these cities, in these neighborhoods, shootings in these cities, in these neighborhoods near schools. I mean, yeah. the crime element and presence is there. So that's their justification for having the police presence there. I don't know when I went to school, I went uh, about 30 years ago. I graduated 1990, 91 uh, from what's called the high school of commerce. It was a business and college prep school. 
right now it's not the best it's not the worst but you know it's kind of average but um i don't remember canine units or cops or even security i don't remember having to buzz in i had an id but i just showed my id when i was late and Mm. i didn't skip everybody knew at three o'clock after school you walk up the street to either chick-fil-a or burger king that's where the fights were gonna be and you know it was scheduled everybody knew it we didn't have phones Mm -hmm. back then but yeah, we weren't heavily policed like they are now. It's shameful. You know? What kind of effect has this over policing had on the youth? You know, we already have mistrust in the community. You know, you know, there's already a breakdown in communication. Um, I know for my husband, he tries to de-escalate things before the cops are called because once a cop is called. That kid just is not going to the office and call your mom. They're going into the system. You see, that's what people don't understand. These resource officers that are tossing our kids all around or putting a knee in their back or I've seen all kinds of craziness. Mind you, some kids with that built up anger or whatever cloud they have over them come to school ready to fight. There's fights almost instantaneously. It was a fight, he said, a couple of weeks ago, under the bus at dismissal. They were fighting under the bus. Jesus. Everybody had their phones ready, egging it yeah. on. That's the culture now. They have a fight yeah. channel on Instagram for that high school. Yeah, a fight, hold fights. On. For the fight high club. school? Wow. It's, it's insanity. Wild, and I'm like, you could take that same energy and start a nonprofit. You could take that same energy and mentor some little kids like you. Y'all are, y'all are focused on the wrong things. Why is that, though? Yeah. And then you meet the parents, you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I see. Or in some instances, you're like, you meet the parents, and they don't understand either. So you and the parent can then work together to try to figure out what's going on with the out-of-their-mind crazy child. Exactly. Because it goes both ways. Some parents are culpable, and some parents are, like, at their wit's end. I don't know what to do, miss. Can you help me? And that's well, what help them. What I may cut, yeah, I may cut you off. But my question is, so you know, like back to the parent issue, there are some parents who are involved and actually want to do right uh, and help their kids, and there are some who want to do right, but because they have to work multiple jobs, they can't be there. And then you have some parents who are just don't care at all; they just absent and they don't care what their kid does. How do you handle those students? How do you get through? to those students when the parents don't back you up. You can't stress about what's out of your control. You cannot control other adults. That's why I will never go into administration. It's like herding cats or goats. You Mm -hmm. can't tell grown folks what to do. Like I'll give you a perfect example. Three students in my classroom last year. i never saw the parents, but for three different reasons, right? I had one student live next door to the school late every day absent twice a week mm. called the mom and the mom had odd jobs called the mom oh yeah i'm gonna do better i'm gonna get spent all year talking to her girl was smart as a whip but was never in school she was home taking care of the preschool the preschool wasn't in school either neither they lived next door you could walk literally you could get to school before me i gotta drive 10 minutes you live next door so mom was completely hands-off checked out making excuses she finally, I would call from the school. Oh, I know the number. I'm not picking up. I called from my cell phone. She got hit to that. Stopped picking up. At the end of the year, I had to take a leave of absence. She came to the end of the year open house. So I wasn't there and said, whew, I'm glad she's not here. So I don't have to hear her mouth about 
me bringing so and so to school, right? Wow. Yeah. So wow. that's one parent. Another parent I never saw because she worked three jobs literally, mm. but she sent supplies in with her child. She would text me ever so often when she had time. If I wrote her a note, she would write me back. So she was present, but she wasn't present. You know what I mean? She wasn't yeah. physically there because she literally couldn't be. She couldn't mm. miss a day or else she'd get fired and she needed her job for food, for rent, for whatever. And this little boy was clean, honey, clean, smart, mm -hmm. clean, polite, nice. So mom is around sometimes doing something because he was on his Zoom. And mm. I love that little boy. And I, you know, I'm working with mom. I get it. I understand. This is my job. And I try not to be out because if I'm out too much, then they're looking at me crazy. Then the third parent, and again, girl, little girl lives down the street, almost never here. But she needed help. The parent needed help. The parent was in mental distress. The parent had the little girl staying home watching the baby because mm. she couldn't take care of the baby herself. That's so then... Wow. In, in those instances, I'm not judging or criticizing. I'm trying to get you some help. I'm calling a counselor. I'm calling my administrator. I'm calling the therapist. I'm calling social services. What help can we get this mom who clearly is, you know, trying to ask for help? But the little girl had to come tell me, my mom is doing da-da-da-da-da. Or my mom said, you know, a 10-year-old is telling me what's going on at home with, with the, with the grown-up. Because the mom is incapacitated out of her mind or whatever was going on. See? So it depends. Every situation is different. That's wild. All right. So I have some topics here. And what I want to do is like I'm just gonna name the topic and just like like kind of get like your two cents on it. I know some of these topics you could probably do like a two hour podcast on, but I just want to kind of do like kind of like a little rapid response, you know. Um you can you can like you can say more than just a little clip or whatever, but I just want to get your two cents. You can take as much as you want, but just kind of keep it concise. Okay. Uh, so here's the first one. I know this is a huge topic, so uh, that's no child left behind. <laughs> I could tell by your facial expression that uh, you have some opinions left on Left every child behind. Yeah, so so well, what exactly was it? Like, you know, it was a new standard in education, and how did it leave law. behind? So No Child Left Behind was a law that was being drafted prior to George Bush getting into office. But when George Bush stole the election, all of his tech now he was I did a video on this. He was buddy buddy with a lot of curriculum writers, with a lot of test takers, with a lot of test creators like Pearson, McGraw Hill, Houghton Mifflin, all those education big names. Right. So when he got into office. They decided to reimagine education and do education reform. He wanted to be the education president and build off of what Bill Clinton started in 93 and 94. So in 93 and 94, Bill Clinton introduced new education reform. You know, let's get some funding to the schools that do well on these tests. But he didn't penalize anybody. No child left behind said, number one, you got to take these tests. We're going to add grades to the test. And if you don't do well, we're going to take your funding, state and federal. Teachers, you've got to take a test to get licensed to get in the classroom. Because prior to that, you went to college, you got your degree, you go teach. You didn't have to take a teacher test, right? So 2003 was the era of teacher testing. And those teacher tests were about $100, $150 a pop. And Jeez. guess who was failing left and right? Every single teacher was failing. Why is that? Because there's money in failure of both teachers and children. So then what else happened with No Child Left Behind? So 
there were these really stringent laws for mostly urban, all public schools, but mostly urban, uh, Title I, high needs, high poverty districts, leaving kids behind. Then in the midst of that, they changed the way we teach kids reading because phonics-based reading was what it was, right? Then it was balanced literacy, the whole child. They threw out phonics. They wanted kids to just see a picture and know what it was and try reading like that. It, it was just a debacle. Kids can't read for a multitude of reasons. No Child Left Behind was one of the big reasons. Race to the top also with President Obama, but No Child Left Behind got the nonsense going in 2003. All right. So uh, teacher pay. Low. Um, Ridiculous how, should, how should kids be disciplined and are we doing it right? The reason I ask this question is because based on my experience being security guard in schools, I feel like a lot of teachers spend more time trying to get a hold of students than actually teaching students. So are we disciplining students right? Are we are we doing it right? What's your opinion on this? Depends. Depends on the kid. Depends on the classroom. Uh, they have certain classrooms specifically for behavior, your social, emotional behavior classrooms. They have, uh, ooh, how do I answer that? I know for me, I act like a mom sometimes in my classroom. If I see certain behaviors, I'll talk to you like you're my child. When you say discipline, though, um, is it corrective? Is it loving? And it depends on what the child is doing. Are they harming themselves or others? Are they disrupting the entire class? Does the discipline fit the crime? I shouldn't say the crime, but does the discipline fit the behavior? So it really depends. Um, if you have a child talking out, trying to be heard, raising their hand, speaking out, does that child need to be disciplined or are they silenced at home and they really just want to talk and have somebody to talk to and have something to say? Is a child bullying everybody in the classroom, throwing things around? You know, it depends on the behavior. So mm -hmm. the discipline should fit the act or the behavior, I feel. So every classroom is different. All right. Uh, CRT, that's something that's been in the news a lot. What is CRT? I can never really get a real definition. And what's your opinion on it? Critical race theory is on the law school level. It has nothing to do with K-12 education, but because the Republicans are so good at on-brand messaging and mm. so good at being the scary boogeyman and making black and brown people and black and brown books and authors and banning books, they're really good about sticking to one message and one message only. So there's a couple things. There, uh, these old white men, who were attached to the Supreme Court ruling, affirmative action back in June, are the same mm -hmm. ones that gave CRT talking points to Fox News, to conservative radio, to all the people with the big bullhorn talking nonsense. CRT has nothing to do with K-12 education. K-12 education should be diverse. It should be culturally competent because guess what? You've got black and brown and indigenous and Asian students in your classrooms. So the curriculum, and the textbooks and the chapter books should reflect that. CRT is on the law school level, like I said, and it's a theory that you learn in law school, how race has affected certain institutions and critical race theory breaks down, you know, theories about race and institutional racism in the law because it's a law school premise. Has nothing to do with K-12. to But like so I said, because, go ahead. I mean, cut you off. So K to 12 kids, they aren't even learning CRT? No, 
they're not they're learning american history and the thing about it is now white guilt right white Mm. folks so oh you're making me feel bad how how am i making you feel bad teaching you history you never hear people say don't teach me about the holocaust you're going to make the germans feel bad exactly never hear people say don't teach you about hiroshima you're going to make the military or Eisenhower, whoever was in charge of America at that time, feel bad. Exactly. But you know, we can't teach about slavery and reconstruction and Jim Crow because you're going to make white folks feel bad. Exactly. And if you feel bad, then what? Are you a descendant of a slave owner? I'll take reparations. I'll give you my cash app, my Zelle, my PayPal. <laughs> I'll take, you know, whatever you want to give. It's yeah. ridiculous. Every other group gets to tell their story but us. Yeah. Why is that? Because we built this country, because we formed this nation, because we matter. Mm-hmm. And we're not laying down and taking it anymore. It's ridiculous. I think one thing uh, I think is that, you know, you said everybody gets to tell their story about us. I think the reason why there's so much resistance is because they're like white people. Like, you know, we were victimized in this country. The Holocaust happened in Germany. So there's a difference because Americans can just be like white Americans can be like, oh, I'm not from Nazi Germany that happened to them. So they have a That's distance. not me. Right. Yeah. 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 I'm just saying, no, you're right though. Like, well, I was always wondering like, why is there so much pushback to black history? And my well, thought how about is. Japanese and Chinese internment here in this country that happened to them here on this soil. They got yeah. reparations. They got an apology. Exactly. Well, exactly. What? exactly. How about they, and then they try to say, well, slavery happened everywhere. No chattel slavery of Africans here hoarded in from Africa to the Caribbean into this country is unprecedented. I don't want to hear about indentured servitude. I don't want to hear about the potato famines in Ireland. I don't want to hear about your family when they first got here and they were treated yada, yada, yada at Ellis Island. Full stop. Your experience doesn't compare to the experience from 1618 and 1619 getting off the white lion ship in Jamestown, Virginia of my ancestors. Full stop. Go to sleep. Good night. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, so here's one more I want to bring up, and then I just have a, uh, like two final questions, and then we'll be done. Um, AI and Chat GPT. Are you familiar with that? Oh yes. Um, yeah. How is <laughs> how has that affected your classroom? So, well, my kiddos are ten. So the most they know about technology is Minecraft and Roblox are not really using chat AI just yet. They know about it because I talk about it, but they don't really use it. But where it is having an effect, middle and high school kids, essay writing, college essays and scholarship essays. Right. So first of all, I love chat GPT. Let me just say that I put a subject in there and I get a whole thesis dissertation. But the thing with that, you got to make sure now they claim that you could put the subject in twice and you won't get the same two answers. A lot of professors now are cracking down on plagiarism and they're just being Debbie Downers. I'm like, if the technology is there, the thoughts are mine. And the if the words are mine, you know, if I just put a couple words and I enhance it, it's the same with Grammarly, right? I use chat GPT and I use Grammarly to edit a lot of my clients, their scholarship and college essays, just for formatting, for ideas, for grammar, for pronouns, things of that nature, right? Um, the thing that we want to be careful of with AI is to make sure they're not replacing humans, right? Because I put in IEP. So IEP is a document that teachers use, special ed teachers use to 
write out the accommodations of the students in your classroom. Like if you need extra time, if you need frequent breaks, if you need extra help with reading, extra help with math, if you need me to break down concepts. I put an IEP in the chat GPT and it wrote an entire IEP, fourth grade for math and reading. So if chat GPT can do that, then you don't need me. Yeah. Where do I come in? Where do I fit in the equation? So now I'm just a glorified babysitter because chat GPT can't watch these kids all day from eight to three unless they start cloning people. That's another, that's another podcast. That's another conversation, right? Yeah. But yeah. I think it's a good thing. I think a lot of people are scared of technology because number one, you're always scared of what you don't understand. You don't want to know about it. Um, you're fighting back. I think technology can be both good and bad, but in this instance, I think it's good. I like to work smarter, not harder. Listen, you going to make my job easier. Bing. Bing. <laughs> Bong. All right. So uh, before we move on to this last question, I want to ask you. Um, so you you said about clients, you do work helping kids get scholarships. Can you uh, talk about that? Absolutely. So um, I started my scholarship business after my last daughter, Elizabeth, graduated from high school. I have five kids and they've always been great students, great writers, straight A's and B's, getting lots of scholarships. But Elizabeth is the baby and she was able to accumulate over a million dollars in scholarships. And I thought to myself, what if we could duplicate this in others? Because every time she won, I would post it. And people would be like, mm -hmm. wow, how did you do that? Because I could give you a list of scholarships and I could say, do scholarships, do scholarships. But nobody is telling these kids how to win. Nobody is teaching these kids how to write. These kids can't write. These kids struggle with reading. They can't put words together to form a paragraph or a sentence. And winning definitely takes a winning essay. And if you want to go to school debt-free, and get full rides. I'm definitely the one for you. And I can help you. And I started my business in July and it's been growing little by little. Um, I'm growing my online presence, at least with TikTok. Instagram, I haven't figured out the algorithm yet. The algorithm is trash over there. But um, definitely TikTok has allowed me to meet kids from all across the country and internationally. Um, I'm helping kids. I'm editing essays. I'm, I find a scholarship. If you hire me, I find a scholarship, tailor it and cater it just to you. Your business major, you don't want to apply to STEM because you're not going to be a doctor or a scientist. So I find what's right for you. What are your hobbies? Hiking, there's hiking scholarships. Knitting, there's knitting scholarships. If you like to bowl, if you like to sing, if you like to skate, there's scholarships for everything under the sun. And there's another myth that only high school students get scholarships. Not true. Millions of dollars for college kids. Another myth, only black and brown students get all the money. I've got two clients. They are not black and they are not Hispanic. They're not Asian. They're very much Caucasian, German and Scottish, <laughs> and they're about to win all the money. You know why? Because I'm finding the scholarships that's tailored just for them. They shouldn't apply to low-income minority scholarships. They should apply to the merit base and the ones that are for them, the ones for the blue-eyed, blonde-haired kids. You should be looking for those scholarships. So I enjoy this work. I like helping kids. I love talking to these kids. And these kids are broke. Kids on college campuses, their financial aid packages are trash and they're bungling up their aid and they need money. College costs 80 to 90,000 American dollars per year. And I'm Ooh. not paying it. Listen, my daughter is debt free. She's got money in the bank and the college owes me money. I'm looking oh, for wow. the refund check. That? <laughs> That's awesome. Yes, sir. <laughs> All right. Yes, sir. Uh, so real quick, I got one more thing I want to add uh, before the final question. Um, so about colleges, the affirmative action was overturned. What's your opinion on that? Ooh, the devil is busy, right? Just mm -hmm. nasty things, just working. But you know what? God is good and God is faithful. And 
colleges who, by the way, colleges don't agree with that ruling. They're finding other ways to dis- diversify their student body. In the Common App, which is the main application where kids apply for college, they're asking questions. Tell us about your background and identity so they can get a sense of who's applying. And now, since the affirmative action Supreme Court ruling, they're now attacking minority-based scholarships. That's next on the chopping block. I don't know if you wow. saw the story recently. There are these women in Atlanta, these Black women, who do uh, seed funding and grant writing and finding grants for Black women. The same man who went after affirmative action is now attacking these Black women and saying it's discriminatory and they shouldn't be finding grants just for other Black women. You should be finding grants for everybody. Excuse me, sir. The reason we have these spaces and HBCUs and minority scholarships is because you all won't open your doors and open your wallets and coffers to the rest of us. Uh How dare you? The audacity. So I think that ruling just got struck down. I think um, Crump, Ben Crump, the lawyer who's fighting everything. I think he was working on their behalf and they got that struck down. But just the audacity is just on all. It's on sale for lots of folks this week. Like It's crazy. Yeah, it is. It's a crazy time to live in. So here's the last question. What advice would you give to aspiring Black educators? Wow. Love what you do. It's not for the faint of heart. And when you no longer love it anymore, take a break and step away because it will wear on your mentals. If you really love this work, kids sometimes will hurt your feelings. Admin will stress you out. And when you feel that stress, like I wish somebody told me this 25 years ago, when you feel that stress level creeping up, step back, mm-hmm. take a break. Life is short and you only got one life to live. So. Yeah. Hey, well, that's great. Um, I know earlier you said on all your socials, it's co- co- uh, what Scholarship is it College Mama. Scholarship College Mama. Awesome. I hope people find you and, uh, you know, you have great content and you do a lot of good work. Thank you for coming on this podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Isaac. Thank you for having me. Have a great Sunday. You as well. Take care. All right. That's a wrap. Thank you for joining us for another enlightening conversation here on Bright Brains. I hope you've gained valuable insights and inspiration to fuel your own bright ideas. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to like and subscribe, rate, and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform or however else you listen to this podcast. Also, we can be found on all major social media. Just type in Bright Brains with a Z. And remember, the brightest minds are those never stop seeking knowledge.